Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. This is our fourth class um, in the Shemona Esrei. If you miss the class or you want to hear it again, you can find it on my podcast called Accessing Your Best Self with Deborah Vale. There you'll find the class on Bitachon and our continuing series on Shimona Esrei. Good morning, everybody. This class is sponsored by an anonymous donor. Thank you so much to her and um, sponsoring it in my honor. Thank you so much. And um, this morning we uh, started late, and because of the levaya of Rabbi Yitzchak Kersner, who was the rabbi of the Clanton Park Shul for 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 many many years, um, may his neshama have an aliyah in the merit of our learning. And um, just a few things, a little bit about him. He was a distinguished rabbi in the model of European rabbis. And yet he, his greatness was that he could relate to all kinds of people. And one of the things that they just spoke about at his Levaya was his ability to help make peace between people, between husbands and wives, between people who were having bitter disputes, etc. He was a man of principle and a Talmud Chacham. He knew how to learn, but he was also able to teach many, many classes on different levels that appealed to all kinds of people. He was the rabbinical head of the COR, and he elevated the standards of Kashrus in the city of Toronto, so it was respected by the entire community. And so we're very sorry of his passing and the loss to the Jewish community of Toronto and beyond. And uh, God willing, his neshama should have an aliyah in the merit of our learning this morning. So we've been talking about the power of tefillah, and we began the Shemona Esrei with the first prayer that we finished last week, which is called Avot. And we were saying that the first prayer in the Shemona Esrei that ends Magin Avraham, Rabbi Shimshon Pincus teaches us in his Sefer She'arim Tfilah that this is the time that we're literally turning on the taps, that we are allowing the flow of bracha that Hashem wants to give to all of us to be able to come down, and it's through our kavana, our intention, our our our, our uh, purposeful thought, and you know, um, again, just simply saying the words with their simple meaning that will help us bring down the shefa from shemayim that is supposed to flow down to us. And as I mentioned, in olden days, if a person said this first bracha without any kavana, the halacha was that he had to go back and repeat it. Because the idea was that if you haven't turned on the taps, and now you're going to ask for all kinds of requests, well, it's kind of futile if you haven't gotten things flowing before that. Now today, of course, we don't do that. The halacha does not pask in that way. But again, it's just showing us the gravity and the importance of beginning the Shemona Esrei with the right 
intention. And as I said, even if we go off a little bit here and there in our minds and start thinking about our shopping list and what we're going to do today and the trouble with our friend, you know, as long as we start things off in the right way, very often everything, everything, everything flows from the beginning. And so this is a little hint also to be able to have Kavana through the entire Shemona Esrei. Um, my husband told me a joke that I think is apropos for our class about two guys that were discussing the Rothschild family. So one of the guys says, you know, they're incredible. I mean, they're so smart. And because of their great intellect, they're, you know, they're great smarts. And of course, they're incredible business acumen. They've really become so wealthy, such prominent people in the world. So the other guy says, yeah, well, you know, if I was a Rothschild, I'd be even richer than they are. And the guy looks at him and he says, what do you mean? How so? He says, well, I would, I would give bar mitzvah lessons on the side. You know, you're supposed to laugh now, okay? Anyway, the point is, is, you know, sometimes we have very small aspirations when it comes to Hashem and we don't ask for the things that we should ask for because we think it's too much. But, you know, as this joke entails, we have to think big and realize that Hashem really does want to give us. So again, we want to open up the taps and allow things to flow. Another thing I just wanted to mention based on our first bracha is, of course, the Shemona begins by invoking the names of the patriarchs. That's why this first bracha is called Avot, right? Avraham, Yitzvah, and Yaakov, we spoke about their uh, unique personalities and how they each had a relationship with Hashem based on those unique character traits. Um, but it, a friend of mine told me that as a child, for example, if she did something very nice, her father would say, "Ah, you're such a child of Avram Avinu. And in terms of Yitzchak, you know, if she uh, was able to uh, give in or be selfless in some way, he would say, oh, you're clearly a child of Yitzchak. And, you know, if she told the truth when it was much more easier to lie, he would say, ah, oh, it's so clear that you are a child of Yaakov Avinu. Now, of course, she said it worked the opposite way, too. In other words, when she wasn't behaving nicely, he'd say, hmm, you know, you're really making me wonder if you're a child of Avram Avinu. But, you know, just the idea of that kind of a chinuch, you know, where a person really understands and feels, like we said in this first bracha, that our zechus, the reason that we are able to invoke the patriarchs is because we're their enoklach. We are saying to Hashem, you know, we may not be on their level, but you should give to us, you should give to us and bring the Redeemer in their merit because of the fact, only because of the fact, and, and to us, because we are their grandchildren, we are their great-grandchildren. And even if we sometimes fall short, our values and our aspirations are exactly what they were. And in that way, we merit to have this idea of Zechus Avos. Okay, in this past week's Sedra, by Yetze, we have the source for the evening prayer. We said that the Avot instituted prayer. There's a machloket between whether it was the Avot or the uh, times when the sacrifices were given, the korb korbanot in the, in the temple. 
And, and actually the sources actually combine both together and say it was both. Because we get the times of when Shacharis ends and Mincha begins from the times when they brought the Korbanot. And of course, we say that, you know, tefillah is a vodat shabalei, that tefillah is work service of the heart, and it has replaced the korbanot which we used to bring. But the point here is what I, what I want to say is in this week's Parsha, we have Yaakov who has an encounter with Hashem and dreams, of course, of the latter going from, from earth to heaven. And this source is, is, is the source one of the sources, I mentioned the others in past classes, that tell us that it was the Avod who instituted the three times to pray, Shacharit, Mincha, and Ma'arit. So there's just a beautiful thing here by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Zatzal, who we just lost recently, and many are still mourning the tragic loss of Rabbi Sachs, who also was somebody who gave so much to our Jewish world in so many ways and to the world of learning. And he says a beautiful thing about why each Avot was responsible for that particular time of prayer. He said, Avraham was the morning because he was the dawn of a new faith. It was he who was able, who, who broke his father's idols, recognizing the inner contradictions of polytheism and paganism. His religious career began with the journey away from home, birthplace and his father's house, to a new and unknown destination. And so Abraham represents beginning, a new chapter in the religious history of mankind. Now Yitzchak is afternoon. And Rabbi Sachs goes on to explain that afternoon is not, there's nothing that really happens in the afternoon that is in any way uh, transformative or remarkable, right? Morning makes an impression, evening makes an impression. But afternoon, Yitzchak is like the bridge between the morning and the evening. And Yitzchak's life, as we know, was not as dramatic as the other Avot. In certain ways, his life was just imitating the life of his father. His father dug wells. He also dug wells. His father went down to Mitzrayim and Sarah was abducted and he made a pact with Avimelech. So too Yitzchak's wife was abducted and the pact was made. So he doesn't do anything that's incredibly different. And yet Yitzchak represents the idea of continuity, of consistency, of Mesora, transmitting the Mesora, the bridge from morning to evening. Um, Yaakov, which is who I want to focus on, and it's interesting because, of course, we're in the month of Kislev, which, again, we spoke about as the darkest month of the year. Yaakov represents evening, and there's actually a machlok at whether or not you even daven the evening service. Originally, people did not daven Mariv because there was no corresponding korbanot that were done in the evening. There were only korbanot done in the morning and afternoon. But it, 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 um, it um, evolved that the Jewish people started to, to dub and also ma'ari. But the idea of Yaakov and night is that Yaakov represents struggle and challenge. And of course, Yaakov, from the beginning of his life, 
he comes into the world grasping the heel of his brother Asa. And the struggle begins immediately with that metaphor. And he refuses in this week's Parsha to let go of the stranger that's wrestling with him. Right? He struggles with the stranger. His name is changed with the angel. Um, his name is changed from Yaakov to Yisrael because you struggled with man and God and prevailed. So Yaakov represents being in the nighttime, being in struggle, being in challenge. And he, his personality is the tenacity that a person needs to have in order to be victorious over this time of struggle. I was asking a friend recently, actually last night I called her because I couldn't find a quote that she said that I thought was so profound and perhaps goes with Yaakov. And that is that life is full of pain and we cannot choose the pain that comes our way, but we can decide how much we're going to suffer from it. That is in our hands. Um, Also, an important thing, uh, the first bracha corresponds, even though it mentions all of the avot, it corresponds most strongly to Avraham, because as we know, it ends magin Avraham. And one of the major themes of that bracha is chesed. It's important to realize that all of the avot were exemplary in chesed, which is the foundation of the world. Olam chesed yibana, Hashem created the world with chesed. And of course, it's the foundation of Judaism, right? Without chesed, whose counterpart is gratitude, that we wake up every morning thanking. You know, this is the cornerstone of what the Jewish religion is built on. So, but all of the Avot possessed this, and yet it was Avram Avinu who literally personified and brought this awareness of God through kindness into the world. So the first blessing, which we just finished, and we're going to leave for now, is really a blessing in the Amida that is the thematic um, message is it's about our mission in the world. And it's about the Avot who initiated this divine service that we, his children, are meant to uh, live, bring into the world, and pass on to our gener next generation. Now, the second blessing that we're going to speak about now talks about the end of history and the final days of judgment. And this brach is called Givurot, and it corresponds to, our, uh, uh, to Yitzchak Avinu, right? We said that if Avram was chesed, Yitzchak was the personification of Givura, of strength, of discipline of consistency, of self-sacrifice, of the ability to hold oneself back as an expression of divine service. He represents the lotases, the negative mitzvot, the don't-dos, which require the ability to stop oneself. Okay, I want to just read quickly to you this section of Gevurot. Atagibor leolam Hashem, and interestingly, it uses the word Adonoi, 
Adosham, the same word that's used at the beginning of the Shemona Asrei. I just want to mention there that um, that this word, this name of God, was not used until Avram Avinu came into the world and called Hashem Adon. Before that, Adam, Noah, um, Metushelach, who were the great Sadiqim before Avraham came on the scene, only knew God as Melech HaOlam, the king of the world. And this concept of Melech was a very distant one. You know, it was the king who oversees his subjects, but has very little to do with them on any kind of personal level. However, when Avraham called Hashem Adon, this was the idea of a personal God, of a God that we connect to. So instead of just saying, Baruch Atah Melech HaOlam, we now add in this word Hashem. And this bracha in the second part of Shemona Esri, the second bracha in the section on praise, um, uses that word again. And interestingly, the, this word also has the letters Dalit and Nun in them, which of course spell the idea of Din. And that word, of, that, that name of God is a compilation, Yud, K, Vav, and He, okay, of Din and Rachamim. There's an allusion to both coming together. Din meaning judgment and justice. And din is the mida that corresponds to Yitzchak as well. And, um, you know, just, it's not a coincidence that Yitzchak uh, represents the mincha, the afternoon prayer. Because as I mentioned last week, mincha is the most difficult time to pray. It takes gevura to not let it pass by because it's the time of the day when we're busiest with our lives, when we're most involved and easily able to forget about davening mincha. We, uh, we uh, were rabbi in a certain city. I don't want to say specifically where, but there were people living there that were extremely wealthy people. And there were very, very few religious uh, Shomer Shabbos Jews in this place. So um, I remember hearing from the head honcho of this big company that he had many Jewish people working for him. And they had a minion in their office buildings, but they had a very hard time getting these secular Jews to come to be part of the minion. So the... Um, the, the man who ran the business once told us that, you know, he would go into the offices of these Jews that worked for him and he'd say, come, 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 come to Mincha, come to Mincha. And of course they would say, you know, so, I'm sorry, I'd love to come, Mr. So-and-so, but I'm very busy. I'm, you know, I'm in, in the middle of a business call. I, I, I'm working. And this, uh, this man would say to them, listen, one of your calls Sorry, he would say, a thousand of your calls is worth one of my calls, and I'm going to Minion. If you're too busy to come to Minion, I will make sure that you have more time. You know, this is his way of saying, I will fire you if you don't cut. He was a no-nonsense guy. I will fire you if you can't make time to come to Mincha. So, of course, they put down their phone, and they put down their pen, and they run to Mincha. But this was his way of, of um, bringing home the point that, you know, if I can make time for Mincha, and I'm a very chashiva, very wealthy man, then certainly you can also make time for Mincha.
And uh, if you don't, I will make you, I will make sure that you have a lot more time. Anyway, um, so the main point of this bracha as we go on, okay, let me read it in, okay, I'm going to read it in English, okay? So, Atagibor Leolam Hashem, you are eternally mighty, my Lord. Mechaye Mesim Atta, you're the resuscitator of the dead. Rav Lahoshia, you're abundantly able to save. And then we interrupt here in the winter months to say, Mashiv HaRuach Morid HaGeshem. He makes the wind blow and he makes the rain descend. And we'll talk about why that bracha appears in this particular part of Shemona Esrei. Okay. Mechal Kelchayim Bechesed, he sustains the living with kindness. Mechaye Mesim Barachamim Rabim. He resuscitates the dead with abundant mercy. So mech no flim, he supports the fallen. The rofei cholim, he heals the sick. Umatir asurim, he releases the confined. Umekayim emunaso lishene afar. And he maintains his faith to those who are asleep in the dust. Mi chamocha ba'al gevuros. Here's that word gevuros again, gevurot. Who is like you, O master of mighty deeds? Umi domelach. And who is comparable to you? Melech Yeshua, O King who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout. And you are faithful to resuscitate the dead. Blessed are you, Hashem, who resuscitates the dead. So it's obviously very clear that the theme of this bracha more over is the concept of the resuscitation of the dead, which we are told is going to come in future times. Now, how does this connect to Yitzchak? Back to the idea that this bracha corresponds to Yitzchak. So Yitzchak symbolizes the idea of resurrection of the dead. Because we know that he was about to give his life on the Akedah. He was ready to sacrifice himself. And tradition teaches us that his soul left his body for a brief instant. And it's interesting that we have such an idea, you know, uh, of people who've had near-death experiences. The idea that people experience death and then their soul is brought back into their body. And, you know, we think of the idea of Tchiyas Amesim, especially if you've never heard of such an idea, as really strange, you know, that one day God is going to bring the dead back to life. I'm, I don't know about you, but this bracha took on a lot more meaning for me after losing my parents. That once a person experiences loss um, in their family, and then you start reading this bracha of the idea that one day, not only will you join them in Olam Haba, because let's face it, nobody gets out of here alive, as the saying goes. Um, you know, but the idea that somehow you'll be back together again in another world and, you know, with a body and in a new kind of existence. And suddenly these words of the Shmona Esrei take on a, a certain um, immediacy and yearning for that day. 
You know, nobody prays to die so that they can be with their uh, loved ones. But certainly to be alive with them again in some new form is something that, you know, is much more palatable, as hard as it is to believe. But of course, Maimonides in his 13 Principles of Faith tells us that it is one of the 13 principles to believe and know that there will be a time when God will resurrect the dead. And he even goes so far to say that if a Jew does not believe in this, any more than not believing that Mashiach will come or that the Torah is true and will never be exchanged for another Torah, then he's not a complete Jew. Then he can't call himself a truly believing Jew. That part of being a truly believing Jew and axiomatic to this is the belief in Tehir HaMetim. And we have a whole bracha here that we say every single day, three times a day, which brings home to us this idea that this is a foundational understanding of Judaism. You know, I once heard Rabbi um, Eliezer Breidowitz, is it Eliezer or Yitzchak, the one that lives in Toronto, say that uh, Eliezer, Malka? Yeah, Eliezer. You know, he, he said, you know, why do people have such a hard time with death? You know, we, we just don't believe it. We don't believe it's going to happen to us. It doesn't matter how many times we hear somebody dies. You know, I'm not part of that club. I don't belong to that club. You know, it, it, and he said he thinks it's because death is a, death was never supposed to be part of our world, right? Death was a consequence of the hate of Adam and Chava. It's an aberration, if you like. You know, it was a consequence, a necessary one, in order to keep the world going after the hate. It was the only way, so to speak, God could keep things going and the purpose of the world running. But the point is, is that he, he, he once said that, you know, the reason human beings have such a hard time with the concept is because we know deep down that it, it's not supposed to be. And the resurrection of the dead is kind of this idea that we're rectifying this concept of death in the world that really was never part of Hashem's plan, but unfortunately was brought into the world um, because of us, because of our blowing it once again, or at least right back then at the beginning of, of time. Um, so Yitzchak, of course, is the poster child, if you like, for this idea of Tachias HaMesim. The, there are many places where it talks about how God sees Yitzchak as if he had been sacrificed, that the ashes of Yitzchak are always in front of me, even though we know that Yitzchak came back to life and, again, is an example of this concept of Tachias HaMesim. It's in his merit, we're told, that Hashem will restore life to the lifeless in the future. So the Jewish belief is that death is not forever. And in this bracha, we meditate on Hashem's mighty power. Rav Lahoshir, great is your might. And the way it's expressed is in God's ability to resurrect the dead. And there's also an idea that's tied up in this, that that is why the Jewish people throughout history 
always had the strength to give up their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem, that we learned it from Yitzchak Avinu. I'll tell you a cute story. I, when I was at uh, a certain seminary, which was extremely um, intense, it was for Balei Tshuva, and um, actually Lori Palatnik, if you know her, we were there together, and we were once discussing our experiences there. And she summed it up in this way. She said, well, we'd get to class at about eight in the morning, and the Rebetzin would be sitting at the front of the table, and she said, one day the Rebetzin said, okay, I would like you to put up your hand if you are willing and ready to give up your life, bechol nafshecha, with all of your soul, as we say in the Shema prayer, right? You know, put up your hand if you think that you would do that. So my, my friend Lori, who has a good sense of humor, she said, I wanted to say, um, do you think we could get a cup of coffee first before we make this decision or like a bowl of cereal? You know, just something to be able to think this through with a clear mind. Anyway, whatever. That was her uh, definition of, of our experience there. But it was, uh, anyway, the point is, is so many Jews, the simplest Jews, gave up their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem, and they had this DNA within them because of the uh, merit of Yitzchak Avinu, of his ability to give up his life for Hashem. So the idea about death is that death is only terrifying to those who believe it is final and forever. For somebody who really believes in Tchiyas HaMesim, they understand that it's just a bridge into the next phase of life. The Rebbe of Lubavitch was arrested for teaching Torah in Russia. And when he had a gun to his head, he said, fear of death occurs when a person has one world and many gods. But when a person has one God and two worlds, there is nothing frightening about death. And I know I read to you, um, I think it was even before Rabbi Sachs was Nifter, about when somebody asked him about his feelings about the end of life. And he said, you know, every day I say, that in my hands I commend my spirit. He says, I say it in the morning and I say it in the evening. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, if a person really believes that and understands that, that I'm in God's hands throughout my life and afterwards, and even before we come into this world, then, you know, what is there to be afraid of? So blessing number two, which is what this bracha is, interestingly teaches us that we live in two worlds, this one and the next one. And there's even the idea that we are creating our olam haba as we go through this world. They are parallel universes. That, you know, what is Olam Haba? Olam Haba is the world that you are creating right now through the mitzvot that you do, through the growth that you are, you know, involving yourself in, through changing the way that you think and feel and act in this world. And, um, and even in this world, we exist on two planes. And that's the body and the soul. And Avram Avinu brought this idea into the world when he bought the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, the cave of Machpelah, 
for Sara Imenu, from Ephron the Chiti, because in those days there was no reverence at all. First of all, they didn't believe in the soul, and there was no reverence for the body. The body was just thrown into the garbage dump. And the idea of the cave of Machpelah, the double cave, was to symbolize this idea that every human being is created of two parts, of the body and the soul, and that both are holy. That the body... Um, so the Talmud teaches that the Maratha Machpelah was a two-level structure to symbolize the relationship of the body and the soul. And that's why we, by the way, treat the body with so much kavod at the end of life, why there's so many halachos and how you're supposed to treat the body because the body is holy. And the idea in Judaism is, of course, that the body and the soul will separate at death temporarily, but they will reunite in the future. And that is why we have to treat the body with dignity. So what is it that causes death? This is an interesting way of thinking of it. Death is caused by the incessant friction between the body and the soul that takes place in this world. The constant struggle and fight, if you will, that goes on between these two opposing forces, which is only through Hashem's will that they stay together. In the bathroom bracha that we say, Asher Yatzer, Asher Yatzer, at the end of that bracha we say, Baruch Hashem Mumaflima Asot, Pela, that it is wondrous what you do. And we're told that that idea of mafli, of wondrousness, 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 is this incredible idea that God keeps the body and the soul together. You know, two opposing forces that only want to fly away from each other. And it's only through God's will that they remain together. So it's the incessant friction between the body and soul in this world that causes death. And of course, that friction is based on who's going to be the master, who is going to rule. And the motif of the horse and the rider brings this idea home to us, right? We think of the horse is the body and the rider of the horse is the soul. And of course, the rider is supposed to be directing the horse to where it wants it to go. But just like in those old cowboy movies, when the, you know, when the rider's been shot, and what does the horse do? He goes off and starts eating the grass, right? And he, he leaves the trail. And he's just totally directionless, if you like. That is the nature of a body that does not have a master, that does not have somebody riding it and leading it and directing it and telling the body where it needs to go and what it needs to do. That's the ideal, that the soul is telling the body. It's calling the shots, as opposed to the body saying to the soul, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. We're sitting on the couch. We're eating potato chips. We're not answering that call of that needy person. We're not giving tzedakah to that doorbell that's ringing incessantly. We're not helping the little old lady across the street because we're tired, right? 
And that's the voice of the body. So if you like, there's this constant friction between the voice of the body, which is the voice of taking, which the voice of egocentricity, of me first. And this is, of course, on a gross level. And the voice of the soul, which is the voice of the giving, the voice of the God-centered person, right? The voice of the ability to give in and to give up for the sake of something bigger. And this is the, this is the constant struggle that the body and the soul have in this world. Now, what happens in terms of Tchiyas Amesim, in terms of resurrection of the dead, is that when death comes, the body releases its grip on the soul, and each one retires to its corner. You know, think of a boxing ring, right? For rehabilitation, right? The Rocky movies, right? They go to their corners and they get rehabilitated to whatever degree they can for the next, for the next stage, for the next sessions which do not take place anymore in this world. So they each go to get rehabilitated. The soul just naturally flies back to its source and gets rehabilitated there through a series of judgment, right? And the body goes back to the ground, the source from which it came, and waits for the time of rehabilitation when once again the body and the soul will be reunited in a completely new and more perfected, harmonious form. So the body is reverently planted in the ground like a seed. And as the resurrection of the dead draws closer, this seed germinates much like, exactly like the seed in the ground that, you know, in the winter time, you would think will never come back to life. Right? I used to say, you know, if you brought an alien to Canada in the winter and showed them all the dead trees and said, you know, in six months, these are all going to be sprouting flowers and fruits, they would think that you're insane. That would be as hard to believe as it is for us to believe in Tchiyas Amesi, that one day everybody will be walking around again with a new Improved body, you know, people want to know, well, I have a weight problem then, you know, <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know about those questions, okay, but it's going to be much, much easier and much, much better. So this body that goes into the ground, just like the seed that germinates under the ground and sprouts up in the spring, right? And when does it, the sprout begin? Only when the decomposition of the seed has taken place from that seemingly dead place. That is where new life begins. And so even in this world, we have in nature an expression of the concept of because it doesn't make any sense that from a dead seed in the ground, new life can sprout. And yet that's exactly what we're doing when we put the body in the ground. And that's why we are so against cremation. And Rahman al-Islam, there are so many Jews who get cremated today. And they have no concept of the idea of 
how important the body is and, and what the body means in terms of its holiness and its mission in this world and in the next world that goes on into the next world and into all the next stages of things to come. Now, it's interesting that when the body and soul, the, when the soul goes up to heaven, when the body and soul are judged, because this day of judgment, the ultimate day of judgment comes before Tehiyat Ametim, when both the body and the soul are judged together. And there's a whole discussion in the Talmud where, you know, the body blames the soul and says it was your fault that we didn't do things the way I wanted them to be done. And of course, the soul blames the body and says, you know, you took me to all these places that I didn't want to go. And God basically says, listen, no blaming over here. I'm looking at the both of you together and you're both being judged as a unit. And the mashal that they give is the mashal. I want to come back to another body with their mission of life. Okay, that's... um. Right, so that's, uh, Bernita's asking a question. So that refers to reincarnation, which of course is something we also believe in. So not to get into that too deeply. And again, I'm only skimming this topic. There's so much to it. But obviously there is the idea of reincarnation in Judaism. It's a Jewish idea that none of us are new souls. We are all Gilgulim. We are reincarnated souls. Um, but of course, yes, we first have to go through all of those reincarnations before the Day of Judgment and Tchiyat HaMetim will take place. Um, so back to this idea, what was I talking about? Right. So this idea of the body and the soul being one unit is a beautiful mashal of a crippled man and a blind man. The blind man is compared to the body who cannot see. The crippled man is compared to the soul, who, of course, in this world does not have the means of being able to move around without the body. The two of them together see this beautiful orchard from the king's palace. The crippled man sees the orchard and he says to the blind man, Ah, oh, you would not believe what's in front of us. There's this beautiful orchard, but it's surrounded by this high wall. How can we do this? How can we get and eat from those fruits? And the blind, the crippled man said, the blind man says, I have an idea. He says, why don't you get on my shoulders? He says to the crippled man. And uh, you'll, you'll direct me towards the king's orchard where we together can partake of the fruit. And so that's the idea of the body and soul working together again in consonance with each other for towards the same goal. The body cannot see. It, 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 does, it is so opaque. It is so physical and material. But the soul can direct the body and teach the body where to go. And together as a team, they can get to where they to, to the point of and the mission of life, which is even in this world, and especially, of course, in the next world, to be able to eat from the fruit of the orchard and, and, and be able to, um, you know, uh, to get over that huge wall that's separating them from it. So it's not only, of course, the uh, friction within ourselves of the body and the soul, but of course the situations externally in our lives 
that create all kinds of difficulties for this relationship between the body and the soul to um, be able to overcome those challenges in a soul type of way, right? With the soul leading and the body helping, being the vehicle, being the wheels, if you like, for the soul to be able to accomplish as the, as the clear part of the person what it's meant to accomplish. But of course, they work together in tandem. So another source for Trias Amesim, of course, comes from the Torah, where we know that the Jewish people, when they were gathered at Mount Sinai, as, Jew, as Jews typically would do, right? Our, our personalities were established way back when we were called many times an Am Oref, a stubborn people. Our stubbornness works against us, but of course it works for us. It has a positive aspect, which is that's how we've gotten through the history that we've had to get through and always risen to the top and never um, claimed victimhood as other people do when they are, you know, persecuted and tormented. The point is, is that when we were at Mount Sinai and Moshe was going up to Har Sinai to get the Luchot, the Jewish people said, no, 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 that's not good enough. We want to hear it from God himself. None of this third party business. We want God himself to tell us what we're supposed to do. And of course, the Torah, the, the commentaries there in the Chumash, teach us that the first two commandments were given directly to the Jewish people, right? And that the Jewish people died from the experience. It was so powerful that their souls just naturally flew out of their bodies towards the source from which they came. And they couldn't stay inside their bodies. And God had to resurrect the dead twice and he resurrected them with a certain type of dew and we're told that this dew is the same dew that will be used in the future in the future times of uh, resurrection of the dead now we say the words here mashiv haruach morid hageshen Right, God. The, the great strength of God again is the theme of this part of this of this bracha, which is His ability to bring back the dead to life, is the greatest expression of God's uh, strength, gevurot. And yet, this idea here of mashiva ruach umorid hagashim, that God causes the wind to blow and the rain to come, is teaching us by being inserted in this part of the Shemona Esrei, that it's as easy for Hashem to make the rainfall as it is for Him to resurrect the dead. No big deal. And that for Hashem, there's no difference between what we call natural and supernatural. The Abu Draham tells us that in this bracha, it mentions God's ability to restore life three times. And he says that these three times correspond to another form of Tachiyas Amazing, which is the fact that we wake up every morning. We're told that death is one sixtieth of, 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 sorry, sleep is one sixtieth of death. 
that we experience a death-like experience when we sleep. Again, if you brought aliens from another planet and, you know, the whole city of Toronto happened to be all sleeping at the same hour and he saw everybody lying there lifelessly in their beds, he would be pretty shocked a few hours later when everybody all of a sudden jumps out of bed in the morning. But we take this for granted, of course. And interestingly, the fact that we awaken is considered to be 160th of Tchiasamesim, of being resurrected. So waking up in the morning corresponds to the mention of God's ability to restore light. The rains, rain, which is considered life restoring. Of course, rain is responsible for all the gashmi'ut, all the geshem, all the material that we, material physical pleasures of this world that we enjoy. And of course, resurrection of the dead is the final one. Our world is filled with tchiasamesim like events. You know, Jonathan Pollard, who just came out of prison after, I mean, just finished all of that long saga of Matir Asurim, you know, that you free the prisoned, that you raise a person up, that through chesed you are sustaining people, that you give people back their life. So we see examples metaphorically of Tachias Amesim in this world, which is all part of God's kindness. You know, being able to get up in the morning, being able to think, to be able to see, to be able to hear, to earn a livelihood. All of these things are examples of of every day God bringing us back to life. Okay, so we say there's four keys to life in addition to that Hashem holds the key and it's expressed here in this bracha with the word mafteach. So Hashem owns the key to opening a mother's womb at birth. Childbirth is in Hashem's hands. The second one is Hashem is, and not a malach is what we're saying, not an angel, but Hashem self holds the key to opening the skies for rain and the key to resurrecting the dead. And the fourth idea is that he opens the key to Parnassa, to our livelihood, right? As we say in, in, in my Bitachon class that many of you attend, we have to pay the tax, we have to make our efforts, but in the area of Parnassa, Hashem is the one who decides how much a person will have. And the word mafteach actually alludes to this. The mem is for matar, rain. The fe is for parnasa, uh, uh, livelihood. The taf is for tchia, of tchia samesim. And the last letter, chet, is for chaya, life, mafteach, that Hashem holds the keys to these four things. And this prayer concludes, again, we said that every prayer concludes with a bracha. And this bracha, we're told, was said by the malachim, Baruch atah Hashem ha-metim, that you are God, you are the one who resuscitates the dead. It was said by the malachim when Yitzchak was about to be sacrificed, when his soul left him and he came back, so to speak, to life. 
So there are other ways. One, one of the questions to ask is, how does Tchiyas Amesim relate to prayer? So when we pray properly, we feel refreshed and newborn. There's also an interesting idea um, historically that Daniel Hanavi was disturbed by the fact that God was called Hagibor because he was living in the time of the exile of Babel. And, he, and the Gentiles, the heathens of the time, were in control and in power. And the Jews, of course, were oppressed and tormented when they were leaving after that first exile by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down, we lay down and wept. And Daniel the prophet removed this title of a Shem being called Hagibor during the exile of Babel because of the Jews' defeat. However, the Ansheik Nessus Hagadola reinstated the word Gibor into the Shemona Esrei because he, they said that Hashem's Gevura is demonstrated by his tremendous patience. That of course he could destroy uh, our enemies in an instant. But Hashem has a plan and he doesn't do that. He holds himself back, so to speak, which which represents Gevura, and he waits because he's waiting for the day, as we know, the day is coming with Mashiach, before Tachias Amesi, when the scores will be evened up in the world, when free will, which we enjoy right now, Bechira, because we don't see our enemies immediately killed, is still active, right? There's an idea that once Mashiach comes, we won't have the same amount of bechira, of free will, as we now have. And we won't, therefore, have the schar, the reward that comes with us choosing right when everything is still so dark, when we're living, so to speak, in the time of Yaakov, the challenge, the darkness, the struggle, and where we live only on our faith and our trust and belief like Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said that the promise will come even when we don't see it. Because in the future, when things become much clearer, when we're no longer walking through a dark forest with only a candle to light our way, but rather the dawn of day begins in its full-blown light, we'll blow out our candle and we'll say, wow, the ability to choose will become much less because God's presence and God's uh, light will be so much uh, more brilliant. And of course, all of us who have worked to walk through this forest with that little candle will be able to tolerate the light because we've been constantly working towards it, right? Like that uh, lightning storm in the dark that lights up the dark sky for one moment and allows a person to say, ah, go that way. That's the way to go. That's where God is. And then of course we're plunged back into darkness again with our questions and our doubts and our challenges. But um, this is the idea. So they put back the Anshay Knesset Gadola reinstated this description of God as Gevura because he doesn't respond instantly, but he waits. 
and allows us to earn uh, our olam haba, allows us to earn because not earning is called the bread of shame, right? If God would just allow us to know everything, if we would just be good robots and do everything because it's so clearly right, you know, why would I speak Lashon Hara if every time I do my tongue falls out or I get a big sore on my tongue, right? When God hides himself and, and hides things and gives us Bechira, this is the way that we earn. And of course, it's through earning that a person um, has self-respect and a person builds himself. If God would make everything so clear, we call that the bread of shame, that you know we're given a handout. We're given it without any effort, without any any you know work. Okay, two more ideas and then we're gonna end. The Talmud says, interestingly, and there are stories like this about the idea that exceptionally righteous people when they are buried in the ground, they actually, their bodies do not decay. They do not decompose. But their bodies remain intact for the time of Tachias Amasing because they already perfected themselves to the degree that they could in this world. Shlomo HaMelech says, a tranquil heart gives vitality to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. So there is this idea that envy is bad for your uh, osteoporosis, right? That it will, it, it's really the cause of osteoporosis, right? And um, of course, there are, there are stories, recent stories of people who have been uh, dug up and, re, and, and replaced. They've been moved to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And there are stories, even in our day and age, of the fact that they found certain great people completely intact after years and years and years of being interred in the ground. So we say that, you know, when the body so much served the soul in this world, that is uh, one of the ways that a body itself remains intact. And, you know, we all know that the loose bone, a certain bone that we have, I think it's at the it's at the top of the spinal column. And there's a whole story about why it's called lose in the Gemara. I can't remember it, but it's a fascinating story. That that bone is the place of where we will be resurrected from. And the way that we nourish that bone is by eating Malava Malka. That Malava Malka after Shabbos specifically nourishes that lose bone. I know Malka's going, oh my gosh, more calories? Oh, come on. I mean, I haven't eaten enough on Shabbos. You're telling me I got to eat again? Well, halakhically, even if you have a cup of tea, okay, you're considered that you had the love of Malka, okay, for all of us weight conscious people. You know, having a, a pizza, slice of pizza and macaroni and cheese and a grilled cheese sandwich, which by the way, I had last night. Um, you know, just the grilled cheese, not all of those things, which I never eat, but I just, I gave it to myself. Um, you know, that is what nourishes the loose bone. So even a cup of tea or a piece of fruit or one square of chocolate, it all counts. Last idea. So the resurrection in this bracha, which is the main theme of the bracha, right? 
Matir Asurim, you release that, those who are confined, like the baby who comes out of the mother's womb, like the, like the body that was in the ground, you release it, right? Like um, the person who goes out of jail after many years, any kind of idea of being released from prison, right? Um, it's mentioned, the resurrection's mentioned five times in this bracha, which corresponds to the five levels of the soul. And we're going to end with this. The, the soul has five levels. Ruach, sorry, Nefesh is the first one. Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. So the Nefesh is called the divine spark, which is in the womb, which is when we're in the womb, we have everybody's born with this divine spark, this Nefesh. I think the animals also have Nefesh. Ruach is the soul as it exists at birth. And of course, ruach means wind or direction, which means now that the body has been released from prison, so to speak, has come out of the mother's womb, it now has the ability, right, to go in some direction. So that's called ruach. The soul is free from the constraints of the body, that, that, that the body and soul were imprisoned inside of. The next is the neshama, which actually refers to the infant that begins nursing. And the neshama, the reason is for that is that the, the nursing is the idea of food, which ensures survival. And the word neshama is also the word nishima, right? Hashem, Hashem says about Adam that he, he blows his breath into God, into Adam, and he became a living being. The same word nishima, breath, and nishama are the same because just like food, breath is a, an important, I mean, is a crucial part of survival. The next one is chaya, which a person receives at bar and bat mitzvah age. It's actually the yetzer hatov, which, by the way, until you become bar bat mitzvah, you're just one walking yetzer hara, we're told, which is, you know, the, the years before bar and bat mitzvah, parents are just trying to accustom a child to do good, but you don't actually get your yetzer hatov and have that real battlefield playing ground until you are bar and bat mitzvah. So the Yetzir HaTov is introduced. And the highest level is called Yechida. And this is a very high level. This is a, a level that, of course, all the women on this chat are aspiring to. And many people accomplish in this world, many righteous people. And this is a level where the soul understands like the uh, blind man and the crippled man. The, the soul understands and leads the body so completely. They, they're a team to the best of the, their ability in this world to be that they are led purely by the concept that the only true power that exists is God himself. And they work their whole life to achieve this reality. Ain od milvado, right? That there's nothing else besides God. That everything that happens in the world, everything that happens in my own life, every tree, every leaf that falls from a tree, there is nothing that is outside of God. 
you cannot go outside of God, right? Davin Amalek says in Psalm 139, which is, I feel, one of the most beautiful that always resonated with me. You know, he wants to run away from God and he says, where can I run? If I go to the highest heavens, you'll be there. If I go to the bottom of the sea and beneath that, you'll be there. Like the runaway bunny who's trying to run away from his mother and everywhere he goes, his mother's standing there going, here I am, come on home, right? Uh, you're going to be a fisherman, you know, you want to be a fisherman, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be, sorry, you want to be a fish, well, I'm going to be the net that catches you. So the idea is that for a person to reach this level in this madrig of understanding that there is no such thing as leaving Hashem or going outside of the reality of the fact that everything is part of Hashem, everything is Hashem, that in one moment, if he was not willing us into being, we would disappear, right? To live life on that level and act from that kind of sense of reality is obviously an extremely high level and one that we can talk about, that we should know about, but we know is a very, very um, difficult, in this world place to to um reach so we're going to end the second bracha part of the three uh opening brachas of praise we said we start before asking from god we start with knowing who it is we're asking from the praise is not for god he doesn't need tiny little ants telling him how great he is any more than we would be impressed by little ants telling us how great we are, right? If we had any sense of self-esteem, well, maybe a little bit. We, it wouldn't hurt, right, Malka? Why not? Sure. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that my, my, my friend told me I say the point is a lot. She said, maybe you should call your um, WhatsApp. The point is by Devorah Vale. Yeah. Anyway, um, the point is, is that this bracha is all about the future, resurrection of the dead, the day of judgment, the fact that this world goes on after this world that we live in now, that we know of, to a better world. And may we all be zocha to be uh, part of God's plan in the future and to be there at Tchiyat HaMetim with all of those who we love and live through this life with. And recognize that this world is just a corridor to so many other worlds that are yet to come. And um, may we do the job that we need to do in this world so that we can merit to be in those future worlds, which promise to be the world of receiving that which we earned through our own efforts in this short little blip of time that we're in right now. Thank you so much for listening. Anybody want to um, say anything, share anything, unmute yourselves?